Good morning, my name is Pastor John Bechtel, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as the executive pastor here at Chapel Street Church. What does that mean? Well, it means that I have the privilege of serving the directors of ministry here at the church, who then equip and empower and enable you, the people of God, to go out and make an impact for Jesus Christ in, in our communities and beyond. I love my job. I also have the privilege of serving on the preaching team, and uh, I rotate through the different campuses, so it really is a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. You may not know it by looking at me, but I'm actually from Southern California. Uh, I'll never forget my first week at Wheaton College a long time ago. Uh, my first week there, an upperclassman looked me up and down and said, California, you have Kansas written all over you. <laughs> no, but I am from Southern California, and as such, there is a, a a very special place in my heart for the beach. I love going to a beach, particularly the beach between the T Street uh, Bridge and the pier in San Clemente, California. I have every inch of that beach memorized. And I love to go to that beach. I love to sit out and look at the water and realize how small I am. I love to watch all the creatures that you see, the whales, the sea lions, even the pelicans. Yes, pelicans. Pelicans brothers and sisters, are glorious. If you have never seen a troop of pelicans skim across the water and then bank and veer and go up into the sky and then hit the water and catch the fish, you are missing one of God's great beauty, beautiful, glorious things. Uh, it, was, it was through watching pelicans that I realized that when God's creatures do what they are made to do, when they are doing what they are uh, made to f how they're functioning how they're made to function it's beautiful and it's glorious but I've also been around long enough to have seen pelicans that have been entangled in fishing wire or covered in oil I've seen what the how the world has damaged and marred uh, these beautiful creatures that are designed to do something so beautiful and glorious now you may now you may be wondering where am I going with this well, I'm going to uh, talk about something that I think um, relates here, and that's marriage. You see, God made marriages to soar, to be beautiful, and to be glorious. But we also know that as we have lived our lives, we have seen through sin and selfishness and through people following their own desires, being, being weighed down by the baggage of unfair or unreal or or culturally driven expectations, that we can see that, that marriage can be a very sad and a very painful and a broken thing. And it mars the Creator's intent for marriage. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is God's design for marriage. And ladies and gentlemen, it is glorious. It is meant to soar. To help, help us uh, prepare our hearts and to get in the right frame of mind, let's listen to a few folks who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to soaring, glorious marriages. Who asked who out first? Oh, should we tell him? Go ahead. Uh, we were, I sat behind him in our English class, and one day over his shoulder comes a note. <laughs> I like two girls, you and Chris, which one should I go with? <laughs> I wrote me, crossed out Chris, and tossed it back.
There's one thing that I, I think is key to a, a good Christian marriage is forgiveness. Without forgiveness and the spirit of forgiveness, it's impossible to love. Love is what comes from forgiveness. And before we can love one another, we must be able to forgive and forget. And I think we've tried to do that in our marriage. One of the key things, I think, in a relationship is to be kind to one another. And those little tiny acts of kindness grow into a big pile, a good pile of things. Every day looking for that way to serve is so incredibly important because over time that starts to build up to be a normalcy of your marriage and you just you're always finding ways to serve because marriage is not 50-50 marriage is 100-100 we don't hold grudges and we don't expect perfection amen and that's why we've been so happy <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind as far as speaking to a young couple would be to watch your expectations Go into it with a heart of, how can I complete the other person, not how can the other person serve me? Go into it knowing the role of, of a husband and wife from a biblical perspective. I think it's important to uh, read the Word together. Prayer together. Meals together. Marriage is kind of like two sinners committing to stay together till one of you dies. And if you love somebody more Why'd you look at me when you said somebody died? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you're the other sinner in this group. Okay. Well. <laughs> I, if, but seriously, if if you love God more than you love me, and if you are kind, then all the other things that come into marriage, you can work through them. God knew what he was doing when we put us, us together, I'll tell you, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah we had, we've had our ups and downs, I'll tell you. But... Uh, through it all, victory. Amen. Through it all, victory. Yes, we want our marriages to soar. And we're going to be talking about soaring marriages this morning. But before I continue, I just want to say that if you're single this morning, we see you. We know and understand that, that we're going to be talking about marriage today because it's in the text that we are going to be addressing but we see you, and we know and understand uh, that the call to singleness is just as great and wonderful as the call to marriage. We don't want to under, underestimate that, and we don't want anybody to ever feel that they are inferior because we are talking about this issue. Please know that when you are single or when you are married, you are still called to be faithful to God. You're called to, be love, to love Him, and you're called to love others as yourselves. In that way, the calling is the same. It's the same for all of us. And I pray that you can find encouragement today and maybe consider how you can be part of a, a marriage in the future that soars. And maybe you consider what it would look like to, to pursue a partner who would have this same goal of seeing your marriage soar in this world. And I also know that for some of us, for some of you, you may be uh, in very difficult marriages. I want to say we see you as well. And our hope and prayer is that, that this morning can be a time for you to maybe begin to move past being stuck and move into soaring. We need to understand that it is God's design for marriage. 
It's part of his mission to proclaim the excellencies of our God and to proclaim and to help people glorify him. It's really at the heart of what Peter is getting at in our passage this morning. Peter wants us to understand this. A marriage that is on mission and soars when real beauty is pursued and radical honor is practiced. A marriage is on mission and soars when real beauty is pursued and radical honor is practiced. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And while you're doing that, I'd like to remind us of the context. What's going on here? Well, Peter is writing to a church that is scattered and in the midst of or about to, to become uh, experiencing real persecution. And in chapter 1, he reminds uh, the, the Christians that he is writing to of the living hope that, that they and that we have because of Jesus. And in the anchor verse of our series in 1 Peter 1, 3, we see Peter telling uh, the scattered Christians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the dead. So we have a living hope in the midst of persecution. But Peter wants us to see that we have even more through Jesus. That we move on to chapter 2. And we look in verses 9 through 12, we see Peter say, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Notice the pattern. In verse 9, we have a new identity as followers of Jesus. We're a chosen race. We're a, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people of God's own possession. We are not of this world. But it also comes with a new purpose. We continue in the passage. What's our purpose? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. It is our job as believers to proclaim the excellencies of God. This new identity also comes with a new action. To abstain from passions of the flesh and to conduct yourselves honorably among others. And what's the result? People will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you know what that's saying? People will see your God-glorifying actions, will see you functioning the way you're supposed to be as a follower of Jesus, and they will be saved. That is what Peter is saying. That's what's at stake here. Last week, pa Pastor Andrew put it this way. Proclaiming Jesus is not merely a message, it's a lifestyle. It's not merely our words. It's how we live for others. And notice how quickly um, Peter gets very, very practical. So proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus as we live our lives as far as possible means we live in harmonious sub, um, subjection to authorities in our lives. Because of our new identity, we proclaim the excellencies of God when we honor the emperor, when we honor those in political authority over us because of our new identity we proclaim the excellencies of god in our work life when we honor those in authority over us 
And now, in chapter 3, we move to the most personal of all relationships, the relationship that is most intimate and most vulnerable, the marriage relationship. So let's pay very close attention to the unique ways that husbands and wives are, are called to live out their new identities and to make the other number one in their marriage and so proclaim the excellencies of God. Look at what Peter says to wives in verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see their res- your respectful and pure conduct. Okay, at this point there may be a pit in your, in your stomach, maybe a, a growing a lump in your throat, because this idea of subjection and submission seems so archaic and backward and outdated. Maybe it's because it seems to give more value or worth or power to some at the cost of others. Or maybe, think about that damaged pelican. Maybe your view of marriage has been damaged and you are seeing this language through the lens of a marriage, marriages that you have seen that have abused power, that have neglected responsibilities. And if you're looking through this, that idea, if you're looking through that lens at marriage, it makes sense that this idea of biblical submission would, would uh, make no sense and would seem to be backward and archaic and not helpful. But remember, what is Peter getting at here? He is tying this glorious pattern of marriage to proclaiming the excellencies of God and helping others glorify God with their lives. So this negative idea of submission can't be what Peter has in mind. It can't be. So what is Peter getting at here then? What is this idea of submission? What does he really mean that wives should be subject to your own husbands? What is biblical submission? Well, let's start by very clearly stating what this idea of biblical submission is not. Biblical submission does not mean enduring abuse. It does not mean that. If you are experiencing abuse, please come let me know. Let somebody know. We want to help you. There is no place for that in the, in the body of Christ, for people to use and abuse their power to hurt others. Biblical submission also does not mean silent compliance. It does not mean childlike obedience or the loss of one's voice or one's ideas in marriage. Biblical submission does not mean all women to all men. When submission is addressed in this way in the New Testament, it is speaking only of the marriage relationship. And it is speaking always of the marriage relationship. It does not speak of every woman's relationship to every man. And clearly, biblical submission does not mean that women are inferior to men. Let me say that again. Women, you are not inferior to men. The word of God is clear. We are all sinners in need need of God's grace. And because of Jesus, we are all co-heirs with Jesus on the cross. There is no person, no group of people who have more value or worth before God. So what then is Peter calling wives to do? Well, the word here, the term here is a military one. It means literally to order yourself under. It's where soldiers willingly arrange themselves under the authority of the, or the command of their leader. In a non-military sense, it means, uh, or it suggests a voluntary attitude of placing yourself under authority, 
cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So Peter is calling wives to willfully and voluntarily order themselves under and to entrust themselves to their husbands. Please know this is a willing, voluntary decision made by a co-equal to align herself with and to respect her spouse. Willing, loving, biblical submission means yielding the ultimate leadership responsibility to your husband. It's actively choosing to not fight for or demand your way. But please note, please note that this is a voluntary and willful choice being made here. Submission is never to be demanded or coerced. That's abuse. At, at its heart, submission, please hear this, is a gift that is freely given. Pastor Mark Dever puts it this way. Submission is most fundamentally a gift that a wife offers rather than a duty that a husband demands from her. It is hers to give. I think one of the best definitions I've ever heard of this type of submission comes from my dad. When he told me a long time ago, he said, I'm in charge around here because your mother says so. Now, obviously, I don't think the idea of being in charge is what this submission is getting to, but, but the willful choice of my mother calling my father to lead, I think, gets at the heart of the idea. She is granting him a great gift and calling him to a great responsibility. But look what happens, and look at what's possible when this gift of submission is freely given. What does Peter say? So that even if some do not obey, that is husbands, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives. Let's remember the, the context here. Peter is writing during a time in the Roman Empire where women had minimal rights and, and oftentimes even less value. Under Roman law, husbands had absolute authority over their households, including their spouses. But this is also a time when the church is growing and expanding and the Holy Spirit is moving and women are coming to know the Lord. They're being saved. They're coming into saving faith. And how are they to respond to their unbelieving husband back home? Well, here's where Peter gets radical. He doesn't recommend that the wife walk away from Jesus, or, but he also doesn't recommend that the wife walk away from the husband. He doesn't recommend browbeating the husband into following Jesus. What does he do? He commends the wife to lead a lifestyle of submission so the husbands would believe and be saved. Pastor Mark Dever puts it this way, Ladies, by the way you submit, God can use your behavior to convince a husband that the gospel is true. He's giving us a picture of a wife who exhibits glad self-heartedness, not grumbling stubbornness. She affirms and respects whatever is good about her husband's leadership. She helps him flourish even when it's hard. She's not a doormat. She has her own ideas and opinions, but she uses them to help her husband grow rather than to undermine him. She may disagree with him sometimes and confront him when he's in sin, but she's a joy to lead. He needs her. She shows that she is willing to trust him. See, we need to remember that marriage is never just about us. It's always about God and his mission to redeem the world. In this, in this sense, when submission is rightly applied, it is a beautiful, soaring, God-glorifying, sinner-saving thing. But Peter doesn't just end there. This beautiful gift of submission is meant to be accompanied by a beautiful attitude, a beautiful inclination of the heart. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. 
But let your adorning be a hidden, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Well, what's Peter getting at here? He's saying that the attitude of submission isn't accompanied by a mere focus on the external, but, by the, but with a focus on the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Well, let's be very clear again here. Peter is not saying that you can't wear jewelry, ladies. He is not saying that certain uh, hairstyles are right or wrong. He's not saying that a, a, a wife is forbidden for taking care of herself. He's also not saying that it's a goal to be introverted or quiet. That's not what he's saying. It's not what you look like or how much or how little you talk. It's about where your heart rests. What you pursue and what you value and what you emphasize. Because true beauty is a heart that is fully surrendered to Christ. Let me say that again. True beauty is a heart that is fully surrendered to Christ. I'll never forget the first time I met my wife, Layla. I know exactly where it was, and she walked in the room, and I was uh, dumbstruck. I couldn't say anything. Uh, I was Twitter-pated. She was absolutely beautiful. I, I also remember the first time she actually touched my shoulder. I know exactly where it was, right in front of church. And all the bones in my body fell down into my feet, and I didn't know what to say. But you know, it wasn't until I was with her on a mission trip and I watched her minister. I, I saw her heart for others. And her love for the Lord and her kindness and her patience in serving people. That's when my heart was moved to love. Because Layla, in that beauty, proclaimed the excellencies of God. And that's the beauty that draws others to God. And that's the beauty that helps glorify him. And because of this, ladies, I want you to notice this. This is the only time in the passage where God talks about something that is precious to him. When you are cultivating a heart that is, is all God's, it is precious. It is precious to your heavenly father. That is, that is a, a promise you have a, a, in a marriage relationship as you submit that your, your beautiful heart that is, is fully surrendered to Jesus is a beautiful and precious thing to him. Please know that. Well, Peter goes on and he says that um, when a woman values this kind of beauty, she's actually a daughter of Sarah. Well, what in the world does this mean? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6. For this is how a holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now you may be thinking of all people, why in the world Abraham and Sarah? They had their good moments, but they had all sorts of bad moments. Now the reference here is most likely referring to Genesis 18, where, where Sarah is confronted with the idea that she would give birth in her very old age. Now think about this for a moment. Sarah gave up everything to follow this guy. She left her home. And he made some really bad choices on their way to the promised land that greatly impacted her. Can you imagine? Oh, we're going to another country. Uh, just pretend you're my sister just in case the king might like you. 
That's, that has a huge negative impact on a relationship, doesn't it? <laughs> but she continued to trust that God would come through on the promise that seemed impossible. And she still showed respect and honor. How did she show respect and honor? She called him Lord. You think by that time he would have said, well, she, she could have said very fairly, that old goat, that income poop, that, that big old dummy. No. She called him Lord. Even in a moment when she seemed to have been tempor- even temporarily wavering in her trust with the Lord, she did not waver in declaring her support of her husband. What is she doing here? She's living out an ongoing posture and pattern of trustful respect. This is biblical submission. It's a posture that flows from a heart that belongs to God and is made beautiful by God. It is a pattern that trusts and rests in God and believes in and builds up her husband. In this way, submission is not a burden. It's a posture of beautiful, life-giving strength that doesn't give in to fear, but does good. And so proclaims the excellencies of her God and helps others glorify him in her journey through married life. This pursuit of real beauty and submission is the radical, life-giving, God-honoring call for all wives who are seek to live out their marriages on God's mission. Sisters, this is your opportunity to help make your marriages soar. Okay. But lest we think that all the work in marriage falls on the wife, Peter has given an even more radical call to husbands. So buckle up, gentlemen. It's about to get real. We have one verse, but there is a ton packed in it. Look at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's so radical about this call? Well, first Peter breaks the pattern that we've seen in this last chapter and a half or so. And he speaks directly to the one who has the more perceived power. You know, he could have addressed the emperors, he could have addressed masters, but he doesn't. He only addresses husbands. That's important. Something is going on here. And second, Peter breaks with Roman culture and he calls for the husband to pursue his wife, to pursue his wife, to view her as an equal, and to honor her. Notice the first radical call, husbands. Live with your wife in an understanding way. What does it mean to live with an understanding way? It means that you become a student of your wife. You get to know her inside and outside, learn what motivates her, what makes her feel supported, what makes her feel valued, what makes her feel seen, what makes her feel secure. You know, popular culture tells husbands that that once we've wooed and won, we're done. We can just sit on the couch and ride the marriage out, right? Peter's saying, no, you've only just begun. You need to work hard every day to understand her. And please note, husbands, living with your wife in an understanding way is just, it means so much more than just understanding her. It means you act on what you learn. It's not enough to know what communicates care to your wife. You need to communicate care. It's not enough to know how you discourage your wife with your actions or inactions. You need to be working to not discourage your wife. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Husbands, 
if you want your marriage to soar, to proclaim the excellencies of God in this lost world, then live with her in an understanding way. Learn about her and act on what you learn. Well, look back at the text, husbands. You've still got more work to do. We've still got more work to do. You don't just live with understanding her. You honor her. Honor her. The same word that is used for how believers should relate to the emperor in the previous chapter. Honor your wife like you honor the emperor. Show honor. Speak highly of. Advocate for. Defend. Believe in. Trust. Honor your wives. Honor them. Honor them as a weaker vessel. Come on, Peter. We're doing so good here. Why throw this idea in here? Why is he throwing that in here? You know, he could have said fairer sex. He could have said something. But why did he use this language? Well, I do think it's important. And I think there's a reason we need to understand it. I think this has been um, misunderstood and, and potentially abused in the past. You know, is Peter talking about the fact that, that women are generally physically weaker than men? Or maybe that men are more, resu- uh, more emotionally resolute, potentially? I don't think that's what Peter is getting at. And I want to make sure you hear this. I don't think that Peter is arguing for anything that is inherently weaker about women. If we look at the context here, he's really talking about the relational dynamic that is at play in a marriage that soars. You see, there's, there's a vulnerability that comes when a wife willfully submits and entrusts herself to her husband, right? So when a wife offers the gift of submission... To her husband, she's actually positioning herself as a a weaker vessel in that relationship. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying, husbands, your wife has entrusted herself to you. So live in a way to show her that you honor so great a gift. Honor that great gift. We know the world tells us that when someone has power and strength over, over others, and when they see weakness in others, the fleshly impulse is to do what? To exploit it? to take advantage of it, to domineer. But Christian husbands, as you act out your new identity and purpose in Christ, you are called to use your strength to protect your wife, not to intimidate her. You're called to use your strength to serve her, to not control her. You never leverage your strength for your own benefit. Rather, you esteem your wife with respect, admiration, and care. You pour yourself out to help her flourish. Well, I think it would be helpful and important to hear from wives at this point. So this week we uh, reached out to a number of, of Chapel Street wives and we asked them to respond to one simple question. What does your husband do that shows you, uh, shows you honor in your marriage? And we got um, dozens and dozens of wonderful responses. And I'm so grateful that uh, men, the men of Chapel Street are honoring their, their, uh, their wives well. But I... For the sake of time, I want to uh, summarize these, uh, what was captured. So, Chapel Street husbands, if you're listening, your, your wives feel honored by you when you intentionally seek her out and spend time with her. When you listen to her, respect her opinions, and treat her as your partner. When you use your words to consistently encourage and affirm her, both publicly and privately. When you seek her needs and work actively to meet them. When you are seeking the Lord first in your own life. 
when you take the spiritual lead in reading God's word and praying with her and for her, when you help her experience more of God's love and joy and peace, when you lay down your life, serve quickly, intentionally, and humbly, and put her needs above your own, when you make her feel secure in your love for her, when you comfort her when she is hurting, and finally, when you do it all without complaining or grumbling. Husbands, take note. Honor your wives in word and in deed, and watch your marriage soar. And just to make sure that, that husbands get it, Peter continues to remind us. In fact, we're, he's going to end with a warning for husbands about why we should honor our wives and how we live with them. Look at the, uh, verse 7b. Peter reminds us why we are called to honor our wives. Because we are co-heirs with our wives. Husbands, your wife is of equal status and value and dignity and worth in the sight of God. Treat her as such. This is a radical idea in the Roman world, and sadly, it can be a radical idea today. Never forget that you are living with someone who is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, a person for whom Christ died, who is a fellow heir of heaven with you. That is the person you are living with. And then it's sad, but Peter feels it necessary to give a warning. Husbands, if you do not honor your wife, your prayers will be hindered. Hindered. Make no bones about it, men. If you live in a non-understanding, harsh, dishonoring way with your life, God says very clearly, I will not listen to you. If you use your power to use and abuse, God is saying, I don't want to hear from you. That's serious. That is serious. And that's serious because marriage is a serious thing. It is meant to be a soaring, glorious thing. It is meant to proclaim the excellencies of our Lord. It is meant to help others glorify our God in the day of visitation. It is meant to be a, a vehicle by which the Lord brings people into his kingdom. So what does this mean? Husbands, be a student of your wives and honor them as equals before the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as they honor you and seek true beauty that is precious to God. And think about it. As you stand shoulder to shoulder and a husband honors, honors his wife, as a wife seeks real beauty of, of biblical submission, you begin to build synergy and your marriage rises and it will become a beacon of hope and light in this hurt and dying world. May we have that posture and attitude towards one another. So if you're here this morning and, and you are married, I want to leave you with one word of encouragement and with one word of challenge. Encouragement. Husbands and wives, I, I know that when we hear this call to this soaring marriage that it can be discouraging because none of us do it perfectly. Right? I don't. A lot of what this text has to say hit me right between the eyes this week. It hit me hard. I can do better. I must do better. We all fall short in our efforts. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard uh, from now on, but it does um, 
it is important for us to remember, excuse me, that if you are discouraged, that you can go back to the perfect one and receive grace and forgiveness that you need. His mercies are new every morning in your marriage. Seek him and model his grace and forgiveness with each other. Start that today. And the final challenge, I've said it before and I want to say it again. Husbands and wives, when you look out in the world, has there ever been a time, really, has there ever been a time when there's a greater need for broken people to see the gospel played out in our marriages? Has there ever been a more critical time for our marriages to soar with real beauty and radical honor? Why? Because marriage, when it is ultimately done right, proclaims the excellencies of our Lord. Listen to Pastor Jeff's words as he gets to the heart of this passage. And in fact, he gets to the heart of all the New Testament uh, passages that speak on marriage. Marriage exists by God's design and for God's purpose. Marriage is designed to be a living picture of Jesus and his bride. Our marriages are a good gift to us, but they are not just for us. They are a living parable for God to show the world how he loves his bride, the local church. Husbands have a representative role and assignment as a model of the self-sacrificing, loving leadership of Jesus in marriage. Husbands are to die as the Lord died to their self-serving interest and then to take on responsibility to help their wives flourish. Likewise, wives have a representative role in playing the part of the church in this display of the gospel. As Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church, the church then follows and submits to the loving leadership of Jesus. In the same way, the Christian wife is to model this humble submission in the way that she submits to her husband's loving leadership. So Peter is saying to both husbands and wives, the way that you love your spouse is the way that you model the gospel to the onlooking world. Brothers and sisters, may that be true of me. And if you are married, may that be true of you. May our marriages soar with radical honor and real beauty. And may the Lord use our commitment to one another to draw others to him. To him be the glory. So husbands and wives, it's it's our move. What's one step that you can take today to proclaim the excellencies of the Lord more clearly and loudly in your marriage? What's that one step? May we do it together to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the the privilege of, of getting into your word and seeing what it has to say. Father, we thank you that things, when they function uh, according to your purpose and according to your will, are beautiful, glorious, soaring things. And we do pray that our marriages can function well here, not just so that we can um, have easy and comfortable lives, Father, but ultimately so that your kingdom can be expanded and that we can make an impact in this world. Father, do that. Help our marriages to soar. Give us, uh, give us uh, the hearts that follow after you, that love, love you, and want your will for our lives and for our marriages. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.